Would you bow with me in prayer for a moment? Father, we do come before you now inviting you, asking you to speak to us, to speak truth to us into our lives, Lord, from your word. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, swears, prayers, and eternal cares. That's what you do when it's midweek and it's time to turn in your sermon notes for this coming Sunday's bulletin. And that really great sermon title is just not coming to you. (laughs) Nevertheless, those are the specific topics of this week's biblical passage, which is the final biblical passage in our Living Faith series from the New Testament letter of James. I do want to invite you to open up your Bibles and to look with me at God's Word in James. We'll be in James chapter 5. If you're using the Church Pew Bible, I believe it's page 980. But we'll be looking at James chapter 5 together. And This summer we've been trekking through this letter and covered a lot of ground, looked at a lot of uh, practical instruction for Christian living. And under the guidance of this James, this leader in the Jerusalem church in the first century and half-brother of Jesus, we've seen all sorts of things. We've looked at uh, how to be joyful in the midst of trials. We've looked at true riches in Christ and the depth of our own sin nature as fallen human beings. We've seen the importance of receiving and obeying the Word of God. We've looked at the importance of being characterized by inward transformation over outward religious practices. We've been cautioned against and warned against showing partiality and misusing our tongue. We've been instructed on what true wisdom is according to God's Word. and We've been looking at what a church fight looks like and how we as believers should respond to those. And We've seen implications of a Christian worldview and This morning, as we look at the final verses of this book, we'll see three final marks of living faith in Christ. In other words, three final marks of true biblical faith in Christ, the kind of faith that leads to and results in eternal life. We'll see this morning from James chapter 5, verses 12 and following, that living faith in Christ is marked by honesty, prayer, an urgent gospel spreading. Living faith in Christ is marked by honesty, prayer, and urgent gospel spreading. So look with me one more time, at least for now, at this treasure chest of riches known as God's Word through James. James chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. God's Word reads this way. Above all, My brothers and sisters, do not swear, not by heaven or by earth or by anything else. All you need to say is a simple yes or no. Otherwise, you will be condemned. And let's pause there for a couple moments. This is a verse that sort of, at least on initial reading, seems out of place. And where does this fit into what's going on here? And Some people like to put it in the previous passage, say that it's connected to chapter 5, verses 7 through 11. Others argue that it should be in the final section of this letter. And obviously, because we're looking at it today, I've chosen to put it with the final section. But any way that we look at it, the 
the common denominator that ties this particular verse to the larger pericope or to the landscape of this chapter is the use of our words, how we use our words, what we say. We saw last week in verse 9 that we're not to grumble against one another as believers. Neither are we to, to use oaths in ordinary conversation in order to convince others of the truth of what we're saying. Rather, Christ's followers are called to be totally truthful and trustworthy. We are called to be totally truthful and trustworthy in everything. Now, those of you that if you're not visiting with us today, if you've been here just a few times, then you probably know by now that I don't normally spend a lot of time alliterating my sermon points uh, for whatever reason. That's just not a primary focus of mine, nor is it a particular gift of mine, but it just happened to work today. It comes together right here. So if you particularly like that sort of thing, you know, the beautiful sound of words starting with the same consonant, then enjoy this point and uh, enjoy the next one too, by the way, because it could be a little while before you hear it again. But Christ followers are called to be totally truthful and trustworthy in everything. That's, that's the central point, I believe, of, of verse 12. We're not called to invoke oaths and have to constantly be convincing the others that what we're saying is true. Our words should be enough. If we say it, Others should know that it's going to happen. If we say we're going to do such and such, it should be obvious to others that because we are faithful to our word, that is what we are going to do. Now, this verse is not, not saying that every time an oath is used, it's wrong. In fact, we see examples of, of oaths in Scripture, but I do believe the caution against, is against casually employing this type of language in, in order to have to convince others that, that what we're saying is credible. This type of language is common in all sorts of age categories and situations, but I have particular memories of hearing and using this sort of language as a child. As a child, when you heard another child say something and say, I promise this is true, I promise I did this, or I'm going to do this, and there was like a 60% chance that it was really going to take place. If they said, I promise... They're really having a hard time convincing you. They might say, I swear, I swear, I'm going to do this. And at that point, you probably knew there was like a 75% chance that this was going to happen. If they were really struggling, you might hear someone say, I pinky swear. <laughs> pinky swear, this is true. At that point, you knew there was only like a 10% chance they were lying because if they employed that language and they were dishonest, then there was some sort of retaliation involved. Now these, this sort of thing, this sort of language, you know, sounds innocent and uh, just playful, but what does it say about our simple yes and no in everyday conversation? What does it say about our honesty just in ordinary conversation without having to 
emphasize anything or convince anyone that what we're saying is true. Our words ought to be enough. God is a God who is always faithful. God is a God who always sticks to His Word. His character always remains the same. And because that is who He is, we ought to be characterized by the same thing. So because Christ's followers are called to be totally truthful and trustworthy, stick to your Word. Let's, as people of God, stick to our Word. Let's do what we're going to say. Let's be honest. Let's be totally trustworthy, truthful in everything. Because this is the standard that God calls us to. And in the next portion, and largest portion of this particular passage, we see another way that we're to use our words, not a caution against how we use our words here, but something that we are called to use our words for and to use them for often, and that is prayer. So I want to invite you to look with me at James chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Verse 17, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. Central topic here, the central theme of these verses is prayer. We are called to be a people of prayer. That We are to use our words to commune with God. To be focused on our maker. To be focused on our creator. For this reason, we've had some intentional times of prayer together this morning. But we see here another, another mark of those with living faith in Christ. That Christ's followers are called to be people of perpetual prayer. Christ's followers are called to be people of perpetual prayer. Praying continually, to be praying often. When was the last time that you prayed? What led you to pray? What normally leads you to pray when you do? The message of Scripture is that we are to be praying often, continually. Perpetually. All the time. Scripture makes this clear. Philippians chapter 4. Beginning in verse 4. We read rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything. But in every situation. Or in everything. In every situation. By prayer and petition. With thanksgiving. Present your request to God. And the peace of God. Which transcends all understanding. Will guard your hearts. And your minds. In Christ Jesus. Writing to the church. At Ephesus. Find my place here. Writing to the church. To Ephesus. 
Paul instructed Christians there. He said, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. First Thessalonians chapter 5 beginning in verse 16. We're instructed to rejoice always. To pray continually and to give thanks in all circumstances. For this is God's will for us in Christ Jesus. Prayer is for all times. Prayer is for all times. Every time. Clearly. That's the picture here in James chapter 5 verses 13 and following. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Which are prayers by the way. Anyone is sick? And call the elders of the church to pray over them. How many of you are in trouble or know someone who is in trouble? How many of you are happy or, or know someone who is happy? How many of you are sick or, or know someone who is sick? We're to lift up requests to God in all of these circumstances. To praise God, trust in God in all of these circumstances through prayer. Not only when we're feeling this way, but on behalf of others. Message of Scripture that we as the people of God ought to be characterized by continual prayer, perpetual prayer. We ought to be praying all the time. The first two of these specific types of prayer or times of prayer are pretty straightforward. Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. And then he spends a little bit more time and detail here on this third one, on, on being sick. Instructions are a little bit more descriptive, so let's look at it together for a moment, beginning in verse, thir- uh, verse 14. Excuse me. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. Elders, anointing with oil, praying for the sick, healing, confessing sins. Some of you are thinking this ought to be interesting and potentially a bit strange. You might be wondering if the service is going to sort of turn into a more charismatic service this morning. And I don't think it is. That's not, not the plan. But we have to do something with these things. What's going on here? Elders are descriptive of leaders, spiritual leaders in the New Testament church. Those that have been set apart and called to a particular task. In the New Testament, various places, elder and overseer and pastor are terms that are used interchangeably to describe different aspects of the same office. So if anyone is sick, or to call the spiritual leaders, shepherds in the life of the church to come and to, to pray over them. 
Nevertheless, Scripture says here, anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. What are we going to do with that? This is probably a reference to olive oil, which serves different functions, various functions in ancient times, in New Testament times. It was used medicinally, and we saw, or we, we read about this use of oil in the parable of the Good Samaritan, when the Good Samaritan takes some oil and puts it on the wounds of the injured man. We also read in Scripture, though, and see it in Scripture used religiously or ceremonially to set apart certain individuals to God for special care and attention before God. And, and I think that's, that's how it's being used here. Symbolic significance of setting apart certain people, the sick in this case, for special care and attention before God. Interestingly, this instruction is only found or described one other place in the New Testament. So this is not a necessary element of praying for each other. Oil is not a necessary component of praying for the sick, but here it is used in in this way. And when healing comes, when healing comes to the individual, it's, it's not the oil that heals, it's not the elders that heal, it's not some sort of formula that heals. In fact, healing doesn't always come. That's not what Scripture is saying here in James chapter 5 or, or elsewhere in the Bible. In fact, Paul was very honest and clear when he wrote in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. He said, In order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. We don't know what that is, but all sorts of theories. Many people believe it was some sort of illness sickness, perhaps it was persecution, but could have been a reference to a number of things. A thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. He said, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Second Corinthians Chapter 12, verses 7 through 9. So healing does not always come. But when it comes, it is the Lord who heals. The sovereign Lord who heals in these circumstances. We're also told here that if anyone is sick, not to confess their sin before God. Implying that sometimes sickness is tied to sin. Sometimes sickness is the result of unconfessed sin. Or sometimes sickness is the result of an unrepentant heart. If they have sinned. Conditional clause. However, this is often, certainly, often not the case. We know this. But because it is sometimes, we ought to confess our sins. Before the Lord and to another often. Knowing that we have a God who is worthy of our praise. It is always worthy. It is always available to hear from us and to rescue us. We have a God who is capable of all things. Who knows every need that we have. Every thought that we have. Every desire of our hearts. So we ought to readily, quickly, continuously lift prayer before Him. 
As we lift our prayers to a God who, who never slumbers. The Lord who watches over you will never slumber. Indeed, the, the Lord who watches over Israel will never slumber nor sleep. Psalm 121, verses 3 and 4. God knows our needs. He is always available to hear from us. He desires to hear from us. So we ought to often lift our request to Him. Lifting praises to God. Request to God. Interceding on behalf of others before God. Prayer is for all times. And we also see here that God honors sincere prayer from His people. God honors sincere prayer from his people. In verses 17 and 18, James employed a, a well-known illustration to illustrate that point, to illustrate that truth. Verse 17, Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crops. This is an Old Testament story from 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18, when God sent a drought upon the land for unfaithfulness for the idolatry of King Ahab and the idolatry of the Israelite people. Elijah interceded on their behalf, prayed to the Lord, faithfully, earnest prayer. That's the point here, that he was sincere in his prayer. That he was a man, a human being, even as we are. In other words, he was... A person just like us. And these sorts of answers to prayer are not not unavailable to us as the people of God. This is not without reach for us as the people of God. Prayers for all times. God honors the prayer, sincere prayers from His people. And because this is true, we ought to intercede on each other's behalf often. We have to boldly and readily lift our request to God, but we ought to be praying for each other. There are so many needs and hurts represented in this church family, in this room this morning, and we ought to be lifting each other up in prayer often. One of the ways that you can participate in that is through our church prayer list that you can find in the church office available here on Wednesday nights, and to pray for each other. God invites us to care for each other in this way, to lift up each other in prayer in this way. And He hears every prayer that we have. So because this is true, because God calls us to be people of perpetual prayer, the application is obvious here. Let's pray in every circumstance. Let's pray in every circumstance. Let's pray when things seem to be going well. Let's pray when we're happy. Let's pray when we experience hardship. Let's pray when we experience illness and others experience illness. Let's lift prayers to God at all times. Let's lift adoration and praise before God. Let's confess our sins before God. Let's offer up thanksgiving to God. Let's extend prayers of supplication or petition, intercession on behalf of others. You can remember those things, by the way, with the acronym ACTS, adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. These ought to be elements of our prayers.
daily, often, perpetually, continually. Martin Luther, who is the one that's often credited with helping begin the Protestant Reformation, is said to have spent the best three hours of every day in prayer. The best three hours of every day in prayer. And this is not because he was looking for something to do. By his own admission, this was because he felt like he had so much to do. It was absolutely vital that he spend intentional, continual time with the Lord. Folks, we ought to be people of prayer. As folks living in suburban Alabama, we are often so overextended and overcommitted and involved in so many different things that intentional time with the Lord often gets squeezed out. Squeezed out by things like work and hobbies and college football and little league and even vacations and on and on and on. We have got to be intentional about spending time with our Lord each and every day. Continually going before Him, knowing that He knows our every need, knowing that He hears our our every prayer. And this is for our own good. Because it is a delightful thing, an enjoyable thing Spend personal, intentional time communion with God through prayer. There's nothing greater, nothing more satisfying for the people of God to spend time with the Lord. So let's be people that pray in every circumstance. Living faith is marked by honesty and it's marked by prayer. And in the final couple of verses of James's letter, I believe we see that it's marked by urgent gospel spreading. So look with me at James chapter 5, last two verses of the letter, verses 19 and 20. My brothers and sisters, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring that person back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of their way will save them from death and cover over a multitude of sins. Now, most letters end with sort of a concluding greeting. We'll see you soon. Hope to come see you. Have a nice day. Tell so-and-so that I miss them. Give Aunt Lois a kiss. That sort of thing. Not James. Simply a call to action. Very abrupt. Do this. So fitting because this is the nature of everything he says in this book. It is a call to action. A call to obedience for the people of God to be characterized by this living faith in Christ. We see here in verses 19 and 20 that Christ's followers are called to demonstrate and proclaim the gospel. Christ's followers are called to demonstrate and proclaim the gospel. Sorry, the alliteration did not make it that far. And I really wanted to say Christ's followers are called to demonstrate And to proclamate the gospel, that just sort of had a ring to it, but I didn't know about making up a word two weeks in a row. There's some wordsmiths among us, and I have to stay on good terms with them. But if you want to put proclamate in your blank, I won't say anything about it. But the picture here in verses 19 and 20 is of someone who has wandered away from the truth. Someone who has wandered from the gospel. 
perhaps a church attender or a spiritual seeker or someone who at one time expressed an excitement and an interest in the things of God who has now wandered from that. I don't think the picture here is of a believer who's strayed, although I suppose it could be that. I think the picture here is simply of someone who who God has begun to, to do a work on at some point in their lives and now they have drifted away from Him. But either way, the message is clear. Essentially, James is saying, you go and reconcile that person to God. We don't, we don't forgive people before God. We don't restore them before God. We don't, in essence, mend their relationship with God. But God has called us to go and to bring those people back to the Lord. To make every effort to see them come to know Christ or have a relationship with the Lord God through Christ mended and restored. Because we know the the seriousness of sin. Sin that leads to death, eternal death, spiritual death. We take sin very seriously as the people of God in our own lives and hopefully in the lives of others as well. Reconciliation is at stake. Intimacy with the Lord God is at stake. Eternity is at stake. So let's demonstrate and proclaim the greatness of the gospel in all that we do. Demonstrate and proclaim the greatness of the gospel. The gospel is still good news. It's still good news that the Son of God, the Lord of all creation, the Almighty Maker of heaven and earth, left His throne in heaven and came to this sin-stricken, disease-filled, temptation-covered earth in order to live among us and ultimately give His life as a sinless sacrifice for us so that we could be forgiven, so that we could be restored into a right relationship with God. That is still good news, something that that we ought to proclaim every chance that we get, that we ought to demonstrate the transformation that comes from knowing Christ in our lives day by day by day. We must never lose sight of the gospel. Living faith is marked by honesty, it's marked by prayer, and it's marked by urgent gospel spreading. Perhaps you're here this morning and You've never been captured by the greatness of the gospel. Sure, you've heard the message. Sure, you've, you could probably tell the message. But it's, it's never captivated your heart. Respond to Christ today. Repent of your sin and turn to Christ today. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of restoration, of reconciliation with the Lord God. Or perhaps you know somebody who at one time seemed to be active in this church or another church, no longer a part of any family of believers. Maybe the Lord is leading you based on the Word of God to reach out to them today, to call them today, to reach out to them this week. Because restoration is available. 
because eternity could be at stake. Demonstrate and proclaim the greatness of the gospel. Perhaps you know Christ. Maybe you've trusted in Christ. You're right before God. You know that you've been forgiven of your sin, yet you have drifted from the Lord in your personal walk. The longer is your relationship with Christ front and center in your own life, then you get right with the Lord today. Repent and return to Christ, knowing that He is waiting like the father in the parable of the prodigal son with his arms open and wide, ready to receive you and welcome you back to Him. God desires us to fellowship with Him daily. There's nothing greater than fellowshipping with our Maker. Are you characterized by living faith in Christ? Is your faith alive in Christ? Is your faith in Christ marked by things like honesty, prayer, and urgent gospel spreading? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word this morning. We thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ, Lord, the good news of salvation and forgiveness, restoration through Jesus. Lord, remind us of it daily. Remind us of it often. Lord, that we might be people who desire to live for you, to worship you with our lives, to perpetually spend time communing with you through prayer. Lord, help us in that endeavor. Help prayer to be a habit of ours that we look forward to each day. Lord, help us to to desire more and more of you. Lead us as we seek to be faithful followers of you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and ask these things. Amen.